City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. In other words, he's telling them that, that they can't be saved if they think that their circumcision contributes anything to their salvation. He says that Christ's atonement then cannot be of any benefit to you because in adding circumcision as the basis for their justification, they have rejected Christ as their only Savior. And that's the only way to be saved, that he is your only Savior, not Christ and something else. Well, just in case Christ isn't enough, I'll add circumcision or anything else. There is no just in case. Salvation is banking it all on Jesus Christ and Him alone. Hello, and welcome to Verse by Verse from Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve Kreloff is continuing his study from Galatians chapter 5. We have been looking at the topic of maintaining our freedom in Christ. Today, Steve will show us that our confidence must be in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, nothing added. At the end of the program, I will tell you how to obtain a CD of this entire message. Open your Bible now to the New Testament book of Galatians and chapter 5. Here with our study is Pastor Steve. For the last few weeks, I have been reading a fascinating book on the life of William Wilberforce, who was a minister in England, actually a member of England's parliament in the late 1700s and and early 1800s, he fought tenaciously for the abolishment of Great Britain's horrible slave trade. Wilberforce made the ending of the slave trade, as well as the emancipation of all of slavery within the vast British Empire, his number one priority as a member of parliament, and eventually it happened. But it was a long and hard and difficult struggle. It actually took 20 years from the time he began to speak against the evils of the slave trade for that slave trade to cease. And then an additional 26 years for slavery itself to be finally outlawed in England. But throughout those years, William Wilberforce, who was a committed follower of Jesus Christ, persevered, and he refused to give up. Even though he was maligned, he was scorned, he was even physically threatened by those who sought to profit by the evils of slavery. During that time, Wilberforce suffered one humiliating defeat after another as his many, many motions in Parliament were all voted down. It wasn't until three days before his death that slavery was officially outlawed in Great Britain. Now, there's a reason why William Wilberforce was so driven to end the institution of slavery in England. It was because he realized how unjust and how evil slavery was, and he was appalled by the inhumane way that his fellow men were treated. Here's what he said in one of his earliest speeches to the House of Commons. There's the House of Lords and the House of Commons that make up Parliament. As he reported about the many slaves who had died while being transported from Africa to the West Indies. He said, in the year 1788, in a ship in this trade, 650 persons were on board. 
out of whom 155 died. In another, 405 were on board, out of whom were lost 200. In another, there was on board 402, out of whom 73 died. When Captain Wilson was asked the causes of this mortality, he replied that the slaves had a fixed melancholy and defection, that they wished to die, that they refused all sustenance till they were beaten in order to compel them to eat, and that when they had been so beaten, they looked in the faces of the whites and said piteously, soon we shall be no more. Now, William Wilberforce gave his life for the cause of abolishing slavery because it disturbed him deeply to see his fellow man so, so abused, so, so mistreated, to suffer and die at the hands of those who put them in chains. But as awful and as dreadful as the African slave trade was in slavery itself, there is another form another form of human slavery that doesn't seem to bother many people. In fact, in certain circles, this kind of slavery is considered something that's good, something that's respectable. It's even applauded by many. And slavery I'm referring to is religious slavery. It's it's the bondage that enslaves people into trying to work for their eternal salvation by doing all kinds of religious activities and and deeds that they think will gain them some merit, some favor with God. And as horrible as slavery is and was, this kind of slavery, religious slavery, is the worst because it has eternal consequences. And it is the subject of what we've been studying the past several weeks in Galatians chapter 5. So let's turn our Bibles there. Galatians chapter 5, and I want to read to you verses 1 through 6. Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Now, as we've discovered from our previous studies in this letter, the Apostle Paul was very concerned about the Galatians because although they had at one time professed to believe in Jesus Christ, that their trust was in him alone as their Savior, they had recently been exposed to the teaching of certain Jewish men who came down from Jerusalem to tell them that the way to be a true Christian was by meticulously observing all the Old Testament laws. They taught that salvation was by both faith in Christ as well as by observing the Mosaic law. They didn't deny Christ's death on the cross. They just said it wasn't sufficient to save them. And so Paul's letter is an attempt to persuade the Galatians that this is absolutely wrong. It's heresy, and it's contrary to the truth of the gospel message because justification, as he teaches in this letter, as well as throughout the New Testament, we're taught that justification is by faith alone, in Christ alone, without anything else added to it, especially 
Old Testament laws. And here's Paul's approach. The overall approach of this book by the Apostle Paul is this. In chapters 1 and 2, in response to the charges of the Judaizers that he was a phony, that he was a fake apostle, Paul defends himself by explaining that he is a true apostle and the message that he preached to them is the true message that God revealed to him. Then in chapters 3 and 4, in response to the charge that his message was erroneous, he lays out several theological doctrinal arguments designed to convince the Galatians that faith is not something that's new. It's not something he just invented. That salvation by faith is something that has always been the way to God, and it's never been any other way. And so among his many arguments is, first of all, he starts off in chapter 3 by saying, your own experience proves this, because you could look back and see that after I visited you and you professed faith in Christ, you were transformed. There was a difference in your life. He tells them that in chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. He also presents the example of Abraham as one who was justified by faith alone, going back to Genesis 15, 6, he says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, faith alone. In addition, he states in chapter 3, verse 10, that the standard of perfection uh, is, that, is what the law lays down if you want to be justified by doing anything. If you think that you can get to heaven by your own good works, then you have to be perfect. That's the standard of the law. It is perfection. Otherwise, you are under the curse of the law. Then, He tells them in chapter 3, verse 19, that the purpose of the law was never to save anybody, simply to reveal that we're sinners and we need salvation. Now, as Paul moves into chapter 4, he emphasizes uh, the whole issue of freedom and freedom from religious bondage. He tells them in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, that you were once enslaved to your paganism, to your idolatry, but in coming to Christ, you broke free of that. The Lord liberated you from that, so don't put yourself under now the Jewish bondage of trying to keep the law. Then he ends chapter 4 by giving an illustration from the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and their two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Paul calls it an allegory, but he means by that it's an illustration. And he teaches that in Christ, you have been set free from the enslavement of trying to earn your salvation. Notice how chapter 4, verse 31 ends. He says, so then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman. We are not the spiritual descendants of Hagar, who was a, a slave woman. But he says, we are of the free woman. We are the spiritual children, not only of Abraham, but of Sarah as well. Sarah, his wife, who was not a slave, unlike Hagar, she was a free woman. And if you have trusted Christ and experienced liberty in him, you are one of her spiritual children. Now, continuing along this theme of freedom and liberty, Paul opens chapter 5 by telling us, telling the Galatians and us by application, that we are to maintain this freedom. Having been set free, keep living that way, and don't put yourself back under bondage. And to help us do that, Paul gives three reasons for maintaining our spiritual liberty and not succumbing to the Judaizers' attempts to put them back in bondage. Now, as I've pointed out to you many times, though Paul's words to the Galatians are specifically geared to their unique situation in dealing with these Judaizers and their view of observing the Old Testament laws as a necessity for salvation, especially circumcision, the principles, the timeless 
eternal principles that Paul teaches the Galatians are most applicable to us. This is not irrelevant stuff that, that was only important to people in the first century. No. You see, laws like circumcision, Sabbath regulations, observing certain Jewish holy days and feasts, keeping Old Testament dietary laws and a host of other rituals and regulations, they have their modern counterpart. Their modern counterpart in all kinds of things that people think by doing today that they'll earn a place in heaven. Although circumcision, to my knowledge, is not an issue that any uh, today would say is necessary for salvation in Christ, water baptism is the thinking of some. Church membership is considered by some to be the way of salvation. The Roman Catholic Church says that keeping their sacraments is necessary for salvation. And there are a number of religious groups who teach that, that observing certain Old Testament laws like the Sabbath and kosher eating is a necessity if one hopes to ever gain eternal life. And as we've seen in our studies, there are many Christians who, although they would never say that there's anything in addition to believing in Christ that they need to do to be saved, they would insist, though, not for salvation, but for sanctification, for spirituality, that they have to adhere to all kinds of man-made rules and traditions outside of what Scripture says. They always go beyond the bounds of Scripture and come up with rules and laws for them to live by, and then they try to impose that on others and say, you must live like that if you hope to be spiritual. Now, I want to say, although this is not the same heresy of the Judaizers, because it's really not about salvation, so it's not in that same camp, it it is still a form of religious bondage and legalism, and it tends to obscure the true message of Christianity and the joy that comes from just loving and obeying Christ and his word from our hearts out of a desire only to please him and not to impress others with how how spiritual we look. Now, as we've noted, we've been working through these verses. We see that Paul gives three reasons why we must do everything we can to maintain our freedom in Christ. We've looked at two of them. We're actually in the midst of looking at the second one. Here's what we've seen so far. Reason number one why we must maintain our freedom in Christ is because Christ has set us free to be free. Verse one, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Jesus didn't set us free to go back into bondage. You've been set free, live like that. Don't go back into religious chains. Reason number two, because religious slavery is eternally fatal. That's why I said this is the worst kind of slavery. All slavery is horrible, but this is worse because it is eternally fatal. Notice verses two and three. Let me read it again. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. Now, in these two verses, Paul does give two warnings to the Galatians about the dangers of abandoning their freedom for religious slavery. We saw this last week, but let me remind you. First, he tells the Galatians that if any of them, after contemplating this whole issue about going back into the law, if they do decide, they make a firm decision to be circumcised for the purpose of salvation, that's what he's talking about, 
then Christ's atoning work on the cross, Paul said, will be of no benefit to you. Not at all. In other words, he's telling them that, that they can't be saved if they think that their circumcision contributes anything to their salvation. He says that Christ's atonement then cannot be of any benefit to you because in adding circumcision as the basis for their justification, they have rejected Christ as their only Savior. And that's the only way to be saved, that he is your only Savior, not Christ and something else. Well, just in case Christ isn't enough, I'll add circumcision or anything else. There is no just in case. Salvation is banking it all on Jesus Christ and him alone. See, as we emphasize, one becomes a Christian when we see ourselves as depraved sinners who have no hope of being saved by anything we do because all we've ever done and all we're capable of doing is rebelling against God and breaking his laws. Therefore, we come to Christ as broken convicted sinners, spiritually poverty-stricken sinners, realizing just how unrighteous we are, trusting Christ and his substitutionary work on the cross as the sole and only basis for our salvation. To add anything to him and his work of dying for sinners, anything like baptism, good deeds, church membership, or religious observances, it is to reject Christ, rejecting his death, as the only basis for our justification. That's why Paul said you can't add circumcision to Christ. It can't be Christ and anything else. It's Christ alone. Listen to these important words by Bible teacher and scholar Philip Ryken. He writes, if we accept circumcision, and you just add any modern counterpart to that, we are saying that we can keep the law for ourselves. But in that case, what do we need a savior for? He becomes completely unnecessary. Why would we need him to do for us what we can do for ourselves? Namely, keep the law. We cannot have it both ways. Justification is either by law or by grace, either by works or by faith. Either we can rely on observing the law or we can trust Christ alone to bear its curse on our behalf. But we cannot do both. With Christ, it is all or nothing. To receive him by faith is to admit that we cannot save ourselves at all. Now, the second danger that Paul points out to the Galatians about abandoning their freedom for religious slavery is that those who receive circumcision for the purpose of thinking that this will help to secure their salvation have made a grave, grave mistake, and one that is eternally fatal because they they are now obligated to try to live in perfect obedience to all of the Old Testament laws. Look at verse 3 again. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you commit yourself to trying to work your way into heaven by something you have to do, then you are putting yourselves in bondage to trying to live perfectly. See, circumcision was, is just one of many Old Testament laws, and to live by, by one law for the purpose of self-justification meant that they had to live by all the laws because the standard for self-justification is perfection. Let me show you again, Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, why are we under a curse if you try to live by the law? Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. 
Anyone who thinks that they can do one single thing to earn their salvation is committing themselves to a lifetime of trying to live perfectly because that's the way that salvation by works, well, that's the way it works. Because God's standard for self-justification is perfection. And that's the problem because no one can live or does live perfectly. And to try to live like that, it's not only enslavement, but it leads to eternal death, leads to hell. Now, this is where we left off, but in continuing to exhort the Galatians to maintain their liberty, there is, there is a third danger that Paul points out for any among them who, who might decide, they haven't yet, but they might decide to receive circumcision as the basis for their salvation. Remember, the Galatians were contemplating this. That's the whole point of the letter. Before you firmly commit yourself to the Old Testament laws for justification, let me try to persuade you, Paul says, not to do that. So this is a warning to them. He says in verse 4, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. This has been one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. You see, there are some who have taken this verse, especially the phrase, you have fallen from grace, to mean that if you commit some horrific moral sin, then you will fall away from God's grace and you will lose your salvation. And many of you have probably heard that expression by someone falling away from grace, used this way to describe someone who has sinned so badly that they have lost their salvation. Well, I want you to know that's not what Paul is teaching here at all. And we know this for two reasons. Number one, because the scripture is very clear that no one who places their faith in Jesus Christ will ever, ever lose their salvation. Jesus said in John chapter six, the one who comes to me, meaning the one who comes to me for salvation, I will never cast out, never. In John chapter 10, he said, my sheep hear my voice and they they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I don't know how the Lord could have stated it any clearer. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you will complete it, will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. But let me show you a marvelous statement on this. Romans chapter 8. This is known by theologians as the doctrine of eternal security. Once you are in Christ, you are never cast out. You can never send that away. Now, you may sin away the joy of your relationship with the Lord, but you can never sin to the point where he casts you out. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what is his purpose? Verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, essentially that means who he chose, who he elected, who he's brought to himself. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Anyone who has been chosen for salvation is destined by God to become like Christ. What he's saying is anyone who's saved is going to make it all the way. They will be in his presence someday glorified. But notice this, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, notice this, 
he also glorified. Paul said that if you are saved, God has ordained it that you would be glorified. And he speaks of it as if it's in the past tense, but it hasn't happened yet. You and I have not been glorified yet. Then why did Paul say that? Because it's so, so certain. You can count on it. That's the point. Like all of God's promises, we can count on them to be fulfilled in God's time. Thank you for being in class today. If you would like to listen to this study again, point your web browser to versebyverseradio.org. Click on the Message Archive tab, and you will be able to select today's class or any of the hundreds of other studies available for free. You can also sign up for our free podcasting service and email updates from Pastor Steve. If you would like to order a CD of this entire three-part message, call Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. And that phone number again is 727-239-0306. On our next class, Pastor Steve... 